What's going on? Everybody, you've got the card board coach here with your boy, Coach Co. And team, we've got a very special guest on the podcast here today. We have Tan the Card Man. How are you doing today, man? Very good. Thanks for having me. Very excited. I'm happy to have you too, especially because we've tried this maybe three or four times. <laughs> but for those of you who don't know, Tan the Cardman is in Australia. Is Australia, right? Yes? Yes, yes, yes. yes. Excellent. Hence the 14-hour time difference. But we made it happen, and I'm super excited and and thrilled that you're here, uh, especially because you are unlike a lot of the guests that I've had on here previously. You tend to discuss a lot of sports card news, so stuff that's relevant. Uh, and I think that what's, you know, in particular, really interesting about your case is I mean, you're in a completely different time zone. And so you don't really have the same opportunity to go to shows and interact with people outside of the online world. And the fact that you're so in the now and, you know, finger on the pulse when it comes to some of this news is is actually really admirable. Appreciate it. Yeah, it's sort of lucky being on this side of the world, actually, because when news breaks, it's generally in the middle of my day. So I might be on my lunch break as an example. So I can sort of react pretty quickly. Um but it also is, is pretty cool here in Australia. We are very collective focused, which is why you probably see so many of us being so passionate on social media, talking about cards, collecting cards. We're, we're very collective focused. So that's where that passion comes from as well. Is it Cherry Collectibles that's down there? Yeah, they're based in Melbourne. Yeah. So I'm in Sydney. I think they're going to open or they're looking to open a store in Sydney, but they're they're the big name here in Australia. Yeah, I definitely see them at uh, at a bunch of shows. And I'm like, I can't believe you guys just took that flight. Like, it's kind yeah. of crazy. <laughs> Grayson's always flying around, but they, they, they've they sort of pioneered the hobby over here. So we've always been big on collecting, but they're the ones that sort of introduced hobby boxes um, and made it mainstream, made breaking mainstream. They're, they're the pioneers. How do you, how's your relationship with them? Uh, I've, I was a customer of theirs back in 2015, 16, when I was heavy into breaking, but not like we chat every now and then, but we don't really have a partnership or anything like that. It's just because they're sort of based, based in Melbourne and they're primarily, um, you know, a store that looks to sell for breaking. Yeah. Um, and I'm not into that these days. I'm not into busting new products. So it's sort of, it's hard for me to participate. It's just too expensive these days. I couldn't agree more. I couldn't agree more. Um, you know, why do you think the pivot for them in terms of breaking? Well, I think they were sort of always there from the get-go, to be honest. Okay. If I remember correctly, Grayson used to, when I started with him, used to bust his cards, break his cards in his apartment to see his dog running around the background all the time. So it was good fun. And then he basically opened a store off the back of that. But I think um, we just have a clientele over here that don't really have access to, to too many breaks. So they basically just funnel everything in. Awesome. Um, but they do a great job. They've brought a lot of awareness. They've integrated a lot with these graders as well, breaking through their store. So like what they've done for the Australian market is is phenomenal. I love to hear that. Talk to me about what it's like collecting in Australia. Do you find it challenging to, I mean, we said that the, the major company in Australia is predominantly breaking. Mm -hmm. You know, do you find, uh, have you always been Australia, in Australia? Yes. Yeah, yeah. Okay. So I guess you don't really have like a local card shop experience. There's there's a couple, but it's it's always been weird. Like it's not anything like what I see in the states. Um, like hobby boxes have always been difficult to get here as well. But people have it's sort of a hard thing to explain. It's people are very collector focused. I always put it to us being maybe 10, 15 years behind the states in terms of how people approach things there. Where 
you'll go to shows here and there's very spare, like it's, it's quite sparse they're not that often um but you'll see banger cards everywhere people have high prices on them um they they build sets primarily here as well is generally what that. people do I which is that. it's cool because it, it, it has that it, it still has that collecting vibe to it yeah so you're seeing the flipping game come in now but um it's always been, you know, as a kid, you go to the store, you go to like the local news agency or, or a supermarket, you buy your pack of cards, you rip them open, and that's sort of stayed true until until now. You, you see that, um, yeah, till today. It's such a raw, like it's it's like very, like almost like untapped. They're not like a like a financial sense. It just like mm. it's like the raw collecting aspect of it, and I kind of really like that. I talk a lot about, you know, my, like me coming back into the hobby and, and even before that, like when I was collecting, it was all like set focused. And that's the only way that I really knew how to collect. It was like, for me, it was uh, football stickers, uh, every yeah. world cup, every Euro cup. It was the sticker book, like fill that thing out. And uh, kind of, I mean, we have like McDonald's hockey cards here and Tim Hortons hockey cards. And so again, like, you know, you, you get the binder for free and you fill out every page and make sure that you've, mm-hmm. you've got numbers one through 150 or whatever, however many number you, or however many cards in the set. And that's kind of like how I grew up collecting. And it's just very interesting that that's like predominantly what it's like in, in a market where, you know, you don't really see that flip game. You don't, you know, there's not as much liquidity, let's say. And as yeah, a result definitely. of that, like people actually have to collect what they like, because once you buy that thing, like you're not stuck with it, but you kind of want to be stuck with it because there's really no other options. Exactly. Yeah. And uh, like having services like ship my cards has changed that recently because um, previously, like you'd buy a card from the States and then you're paying $50, $60 US just to get it shipped here. And then you're waiting a month for it to arrive. So you're basically overpaying for everything. And people, you know, are comfortable doing that. Um, Ship my cards makes it easier now to get these things in hand, which allows things to move, you know, quickly as well. But um, at the same time, like I said, people like to hold on to these sets. They build these sets, whether it's you know, the rugby cards from the National Rugby League or you have Aussie Rules, which is the, the game most Americans associate with um, Australian footy. So you have those two big sports um, and people go crazy for those sets. So we don't get a whole lot of product each year. And I know I'm talking a lot now, but... No, um, no, no. I want, I want you talking. You're on the show yeah. to talk, man. I want, I want to know. I mean, people <laughs> already know about me. They don't, they don't know what it's like in Australia. They don't know what it's like for you as a collector. Yeah, so when... Like, we don't get a whole lot of product either. So when these things do, like drop people basically go out and build their set build their team and then they'll go from there for the other players um you don't really get a whole lot of people piecing non non teams of theirs either so in in the state you might like a certain player and chase them and buy everything even though they don't play for your team that's not that's not like that not like that here they're still very so, passionate as well so rugby cards are big there yeah rugby I, league, didn't yeah. Know, I didn't even know rugby cards existed yeah they do so there's there's actually two two forms of rugby so most people associate it Rugby, it's rugby union, and um, that's the one that's played at the World Cup and everything. And then the, the big one here is rugby league. So two forms of rugby, but slightly different in how they're played. And rugby league is the big one. That's what the hats for the jersey behind me. Um, yeah. Who produces those cards? Uh, so the rugby cards are produced by a company called TLA, um, so an Australian company, and then the AFL cards are produced by Select Australia. So they they've actually introduced some really cool innovation in the last few years. They out a set called supremacy which looks very much like flawless um, which is really cool um, i'm hoping like the likes of tops or fanatics try and get a license because i think there's a pretty big opportunity here i think tops have just done um the license for the nbl which is the australian basketball league they have released a set for that now so i'm hoping they expand into some of these other stuff because um i can talk you through what some of these sets look like it's very different to what you see in the states 
Are there parallels? There are, but um, it's a bit weird in the sense that um, so you'll have inserts and parallels, but they might only pick four to five players per team. Um, and then when it comes to things like autos, they'll pick one player per team. Um, so it's not that saturated, which is good and bad. The, the, the bad part is they just seem to recycle the same players all the time. Mm. But it's all on card auto, no sticker autos. Um, you do get game-worn stuff in there, but it's only for maybe two or three players they do patches for. Um, so it's like slim pickings compared to what you get with you know US product, which is disappointing, but at the same time, um, it's still pretty cool to chase. It's just very expensive, unfortunately. People go yeah. wild. I believe it. Talk to me about what collecting looks like for you. So, you know, Australians, they collect full sets. How did collecting for you come about? I think probably like most people my age, it was Pokemon in, in the night in the late nineties. Um, I was big into NRL cards. Um, so rugby, um, back yeah. then as well, my mum used to work at a news agency. So used to go get a pack every day, um, and bust that open, never really hit anything good, but it was all about you know, the stories behind them, keeping them, putting them in my binder, interacting with them, watching the players on TV. Um, US sports sort of didn't come for me until a little bit later on just because it was too hard to get the product. But um, for me, it's all about um, now finding cards that I can find a deeper story behind, a deeper meaning behind. Things like flawless soccer is something I'm really big into now, but um, primarily rugby cards and Pokemon is what, what got me started. And you can see behind me, I collect all different things. I've had the collecting bug my, my whole life. Talk to me about the other things, man. I want to know all about your other collecting. So I've got um, on over my left shoulder, you can see some Back to the Future stuff. So I that do see is, that. Um, Hot Toys, they they produce one six scale figures, like movie accurate figures, which are pretty cool. So um, the ones on the top shelf are from the first movie. The, on the second shelf is the second film. It's a bit bare right now, but I've got um, the new DeLorean coming. So you can see the first DeLorean up there. Um, it should arrive in three or four days, um, which is pretty cool. Um, and then the video games around me as well. Um, probably the coolest thing is is that hoverboard there. So Mattel released that, I think, like 10 years ago. I got it signed by the actor that plays Biff, um, but pretty cool. That is really cool. Talk I, I, like Back to the Future to me is like my favorite movie of all time. Why? So Talk to me. Let's I, go. I don't know. I, don't, I got no idea why, to be honest. It was just something that I, I loved as a kid, the second film in particular. Um, I think it was maybe the hoverboard and just seeing that him go to the future, but it's something that's just stuck with me my whole life. Um, I've done a few cosplays as, as Marty a few a few times in my younger years, which is good fun. Um, but that film just is my childhood for me. So me having those things on my shelf, even though they're not cheap, um, I can just look at them and just reminds me of being a kid, which is what, you know, collecting things is all about, in my opinion, or part of the reason. This is a fantastic interview so far, man. I'm, I'm thoroughly enjoying this. Talk to me about the news why why the news why did you gravitate towards that you know we have this like true collector in you all different walks of of collecting back to the future video games pokemon cards mm. rugby cards where does you know becoming a news source how does that factor in i think i i sort of fell into it so when i first started making content i think it was june july 2021 i was just bored at home sydney got put in another lockdown so i had nothing else to do um I was busting cards, doing random things. And then I saw a few things happening within the hobby that I wanted to comment on. Um, and part of the reason why I wanted to come on, comment on that was because I, I work in external audit. I've mentioned that before on my channel. Um, so business processes, risk points, all those kinds of things are um, part of my day job. And there was just things that I was seeing happen within the industry that I thought others weren't commenting on. 
Um, and then I just thought it maybe gave me a, a unique insight to sort of vent for myself, but then also inform inform people as well. Try and give um, a bit more of an informed opinion about things that were happening based on actual issues that these business might be facing, right? It's not just based on hearsay all the time. It's, well, this is what I see on a day-to-day basis when I'm looking at the largest organizations in the world. If that sort of stuff holds strong, which most likely often does, this is where it's probably going wrong at this grade at this manufacturer. So talk to me about some of those things. Like where, where is it going wrong with... So Panini has been a focal point in the news recently, right? Like, I mean, they're... Mm-hmm ongoing lawsuits whether it's with the nflpa whether it's with fanatics uh whether it's with like civil lawsuits regarding uh you know redemptions and stuff of that nature mm-hmm. where, where is it going wrong with Panini right now i think their one's probably less process orientated issues than the other businesses i think theirs is them maybe getting a little bit too complacent so management themselves getting too complacent it's it's um a little bit different for them i think they've shot themselves in the foot more than anything else, right? They've basically got a little bit too cocky and decided to sort of print things to death during this period and cash in and, and sort of thought they'd always be there, obviously, as we've seen with Fanatics coming in. But I think for them, it's more so their management has sort of let their business down by not having, you know, the foresight to prepare for things. I think theirs is a little bit different to them. What you're seeing with some of these graders where the mistakes we were seeing indicated that their process was was very poor. That's very interesting. Recently, there was discussion about graded or uh, altered, like in-person autographs on yep. sports cards, and and that being alter, essentially altering a card. You brought up the fake Steph Curry's, the two thousand and nine mm-hmm. tops. Uh, they've been floating around, and someone has independently, or someone or some conglomerate of people have independently put sticker autos on those yep. cards and essentially made them look like they were buybacks or or something that you know potentially was pulled in that product maybe maybe not even trying to be deceptive maybe just trying to create a card that never existed mm-hmm. uh, how do you feel about that situation no, I, I think it's it, I think it's really poor form on on the grader themselves like I think you're gonna have people try and do stuff like that either to deceive like you said or just to try and, and make some money off the back of it or make a cool card. Um, but I think the graders in this instance have let down customers because um, when you get like a PSA DNA certification on a slab, um, they don't actually look at the card, which is surprising to a lot of people. Um, but in those instances where they do that Steph Curry, they'll say on the card, it's either a trading card or a sticker, or they'll say it's a reprint. Um, when in reality, it's a fake card. Um, so from like a risk management perspective, in my opinion, that's really poor form on these graders because BGS does it as well. And I think yeah. SGC might, I'm not hundred percent certain. Um, but by sort of not stating it's a counterfeit card, because they more than likely do know the fact that it's a counterfeit card, um, you're you're letting down future customers because people will see that, right? And see this really cool Steph Curry and they think, oh, it's only going for a few hundred dollars. I can buy it for really cheap. In reality, it's it's a fake card. So it's not worth maybe what you thought it was. So I think they need to do a little bit better to protect customers and actually state on their counterfeit card because it gets a little bit funnier um, just quickly. No, no, please. You know, they wouldn't, they wouldn't put that in a, in a, in a graded slab, right? Because they don't authenticate and they don't slab counterfeit cards. Yeah. But they have no problem doing it when it's a PSA DNA authentication. Yeah. Um, which do is you think that, Do you think they should go back to the, the old holders where, because they, they used to have separate holders for uh, PSA DNA certification. 
Yep. And that was a great way to distinguish whether or not, you know, this card was graded because a lot of people I find it is a little bit deceptive. Like some people just do the autograph and, and I guess maybe they're not doing it for deceptive purposes. Some people I'm sure are, but yeah, and someone who's newer to the hobby might not be able to distinguish the fact that something is a graded gem in 10 uh, autograph instead of a gem in 10 card. Yep. And, you know, because they're in the same holder, again, to your point, they purchase something like this and they assume that this is a gem in 10 card. You know, it says mm-hmm. trading card on it. Um, yep. you know, oftentimes in the holders, it's exactly what it says. It says trading card. It doesn't say what what card it is. It doesn't say... And that's, I guess, one telltale way of figuring out whether or not this is DNA, uh, you know, cer- certified versus like truly graded is, you know, are the specs of the actual card labeled on the card. But aside from that, I mean, like I said, the everyday or not the everyday person, but, you know, there's definitely some novices in the hobby that look at this and it's a PSA 10 card. So do you think that they should go back to uh, the original holders or or a different holder? Yeah, like the blue, the blue labels. Yeah, I yeah. think they should just make it unequivocal that it's you know not being graded the card or in fact the card is fake like they if they want to stand by doing the dna process right and slubbing these for the auto purposes only i think they need to make it very clear on there that it's a counterfeit card because irrespective of whether people need to do their own research i had a chat with this on someone on twitter today where they basically said well it's a fake card people know it's fake what's the big deal it's like well not everybody's going to know it's fake right yeah if you own this card and got it done and then you decide to sell it to someone and then that person, and you've done your job because you've disclosed it to that person, and that person then sells it to someone and doesn't tell them or doesn't try and make the person aware, that's where the problem comes. And that's where these graders need to be protecting that, right? They have a due diligence to protect customers irrespective of how smart or informed they are. I feel like that's one of the issues with the hobby is that like we just assume that everyone should know the rules and everyone yep. you know plays by the rules and there's a, a a vast majority of people I you know that participate in the space maybe not on an everyday basis maybe it's you know to the extent of buying the occasional card maybe they got money for their birthday or some form of a holiday and they wanted to purchase a card a memory much like we were talking about previously and and how things are tied to nostalgia and and moments in time and they have absolutely no idea what what half of these rules are and for some reason we're just expect they're just expected to yeah yeah i think it's it's something that does need to be fixed especially um where you've got people moving so quickly these days everyone's got a short attention span they're the sort of making deals to flip a card very quickly so they're not looking at things very closely and again that stuff has to fall back on people to be more informed before they buy but i think these businesses can do a heck of a lot better to protect them in the first place um, one of the things I've mentioned a lot of times on, on my channel as well is that I feel like a lot of these pillars within within this industry, within our hobby, are still in the mindset of 10, 15 years ago when it, it was just a hobby for the most part and it wasn't a whole lot of income coming in. It wasn't anywhere near what it is today. And they've sort of you know, structured their policies and their businesses with that in mind, not keeping in mind that they're charging customers a heck of a lot more money for this stuff now and the risks are far greater than they've ever been um, so that sort of assessment from them needs to start matching the money that they're, they're charging people. And um, I don't think it's happening right now. And that's a really good example of that. Well, you also mentioned you're one of the first people to break this, if not the first person to break this, the Bowman Chrome autograph that was, yep. uh, you know, fraudulently signed. It was stolen from the top's head office and fraudulently signed. And the athlete whose card it was mentioned that this was not his autograph. 
-hmm. and that card was given a you know a 10 autograph through bgs designation and bgs assumes no responsibility because on the back of the card it says that tops basically approves that this card is autographed Mm -hmm. Uh, but what happens when you know someone steals a blank one or something of that nature right like i I found it fascinating that there's zero protocol for like actually establishing whether or not this player's this is this player's autograph or not. Yeah, yeah, I think it's and it's gets even worse when um, if you know a claim was to come in, let's say because PSA did grade one of these as well. Um, BGS don't offer a guarantee, but if you were to make a claim through PSA, I don't think that would fall under that claim because they don't look at the auto in the first place. Um, it's just really weird how these things were stolen as well, where it looks like they were stolen as part of either during or after the signing session. Um, and that goes to that risk point I mentioned earlier, where typically they leverage contractors to, to oversee these things, right? So again, you're talking about cards that could be flipped for thousands of dollars, tens of thousands of dollars, if not more. And you're you're paying contractors minimum wage to essentially look at that sort of stuff. That That is really poor. And um, I do think these graders need to take a bit more responsibility when it comes to these autographs as well. It's a really unfortunate thing for them to have to do. But again, it goes to what I said, where the risks are getting bigger and bigger as more expensive cards do get produced, right? And it's not fair for people that would buy that that card and then find it, hang on a minute, it's fake. And there's dozens of them. It's not just one player either, which is really unfortunate. I think this is the theme moving forward, right? It's like the companies that have been making money hand over fist, and aren't willing to kind of give a little bit and, you know, put money back into yep. uh, their systems and their practices and, and being able to kind of like shore up whether that's management, whether that's their operational processes, like those are the companies that are, are falling and they're sinking to the bottom of the ocean right now. You know, the mm-hmm. likes of Panini and, and Beckett 10 years ago, five years ago, these were two big players that dominated the space. And yep. Very quickly, both of these companies have kind of like sunk to the bottom of the ocean where, I mean, how many Beckett's, Beckett presidents have we seen in the last three yeah, years? Exactly. Yeah. You know what I yeah. mean? Like it's a revolving yeah. door at this point. Yeah. Um, and the companies that that innovate and the companies that uh, really take the time to, you know, work on their operational processes, uh, those mm. are the ones that are that are getting the money. I mean, we saw like HGA surpass Beckett during the, yep. albeit it was for a short period of time, but it just goes to show that how how badly the market just wanted. I mean, SGZ has made unbelievable strides during this time, mm-hmm. where you know they were virtually irrelevant unless it was vintage cards, um, and now they're like a relatively big player in terms of like a weekly grading report or a monthly grading report. And it just really goes to show like how how much these companies who have been here for quite some time, it's almost like entitlement. Yeah, it's like ignorance, I think, more than anything, to be honest, because I think yeah. um, they, they think they're too big to fail, right? And they're too entrenched in this hobby and they've always been here. And then all of a sudden, someone comes in like Fanatics, Michael Rubin basically pulls everyone's pants down and says, well, you guys want to take the piss? Here, let's have some fun about it. And it's just real, like it's really annoying because it's an easy fix. A lot of these mistakes that you're seeing are just down to really poor business processes. And it's sort of a hard thing to convey to people unless you're in the detail. But um, when your, you know, internal control environment, your business processes are really robust, you're not going to see businesses drop the ball like this. Um, and when you do, like we've seen, because like SUC, as an example, have made some mistakes, but Pete, their CEO, has come out and been on the front foot multiple times, but incredibly transparent, moved quickly because he's seen that that's what you need to do in this day and age, right? You can't 
not communicate things. You can't be, um, you can't go ahead and not correct things, right? And he's basically saw that and, and done it. And that's how they all should be, which is um, a really cool thing for them and their business because it indicates um, they are forward thinking. Has anyone actually seen the Becker president? Has he? I, I don't think so. No. Do you know what I mean? Like, has, has not not the new has, one. No. Has he given any speeches? I mean, even the previous one, like maybe one video, two videos, maybe. Yeah, I saw the one video. Yeah. 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 It's. I, I just find it is dumbfounding. Truthfully, mm. I don't like to be honest. I don't even think about Beckett anymore, which is a bad thing. But um, <laughs> like, like I, I had a few slabs that I wanted to send there as an example. Like, as an example, recently some flawless cards and. You can't even really find any information on the website as to how long things are going to take, what the current pricing's like. Like it's just a mess. So it's like why even bother? I agree it's with a, you. It's a, it's a really shameful. Uh, really, it's a shame to say because and I'm, they, I'm coming they were from a pioneer. Yeah, well, and I'm coming from like Canada was one of the biggest players in terms of Beckett. Like most people in the last ten years have like a ton of hockey cards created by Beckett because mm. Beckett was one of the few companies that was willing to come to you know the Toronto Expo and other big shows and and really make their presence known and you know, create relationships with some of the, the the hobbyists here. And it just, they make it next to impossible, at least like moving into the digital age, like where they've, they haven't upgraded the website. Their submission yep. process is still very challenging and clunky. Um, you know, like it, it's, it, they just aren't giving them or giving themselves any favors here. Mm. I, I, I feel like they're working on something in the background. Like something tells me that maybe they're, not moving too much because they're fixing things internally. Maybe a maybe a fanatics acquisition is coming at some point. Um, so that might be a smoky for a few months time. Like no inside information or anything. No, but, no, no. I know, I know, um, I know. If you're if you're thinking about like a what a business would be trying to do in order to to get acquired, maybe that would be it. You know, maybe they're letting people go, restructuring internally, fixing things, just getting ready to move. I feel like this tanks your stock, though. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. It, right? it, it could, but but I think like having that name could do wonders for fanatics, but they've said they were a greater. So I'm curious to see who they're going to get. What do you think is the future of Panini? I I don't know. I hope, I hope they stick around because we need competition. I don't want to see what we've seen in the last 10 years or however long it's been. Um, I was, when I jumped on an IG live with Ken Golden the other day, one of the things I mentioned was, and, and the reason why I mentioned this is because everyone in the comments basically shat on me for it, but yeah. um, it might normalize if Panini stick around it might normalize uh, unlicensed trading license cards. Yeah. Which I think could be a really good thing because you might then see people appreciating the likes of leaf more because at the end of the day, if you've got um, a card with an autograph on there, that's a sticker order. Does it really matter if it doesn't have the team logo on there or not? Like, I don't, I don't think so. Not for me, for my PC. Um, now, if you're talking about on-card orders and game-worn memorabilia, sure, you want it to be complete, but um, you might see Panini stick around, produce cards, and then that would be good for the hobby long-term. But again, I think the more likely outcome is they'll get bought out or they'll sell their IPs. But how much game-worn stuff have we really seen in the last, like, five years? Do you know what I mean? Like, it's like... Yeah. It's, I, it's... I, I, my gut feeling has always been that Panini's just stockpiling it. Obviously not for the new crop of rookies um but i have they they have to have it in in droves just based on what they've been buying over the years i'm sure they've um still got jerseys they're not used in fact uh, wax museum podcast who has a really good channel has talked multiple times around certain players having partial jerseys put into sets from 10 years ago that have still not been reused so if you extrapolate that there's probably a heck of a lot more out there 
it, a lot of people have talked about like Fleer and the dismantling of Fleer and what happened after that and how there was just like this influx and they were selling like jersey game used jersey pieces. Like I, yeah. I remember seeing a, a Kobe like authentic yeah, yes slab yeah. with like like a hundred pieces, individual pieces of fra- fabric from like game yeah. used Kobe jerseys. And I mean, you might start seeing stuff like that where someone just like acquires, I mean, like obviously worst case scenario, Panini goes under, which I truly hope does not happen because I know that a lot of people have this this distaste towards Panini. Mm-hmm. And oftentimes I do too, especially because a lot of things that I'm forced to talk about have to do with how Panini has screwed over the consumer who, you know, pays yep. their bills and has, you know, had their prices 10x in terms of, uh, you know, what what the cost of a hobby box is now. You know, even if we're talking about like retail products or or stuff of that nature, um, you know, but it's 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 definitely fascinating to think about what could happen. I get I I, I digress a little bit. I want to talk about how how Panini's innovation has truly changed the hobby, though. So like as much mm-hmm. as I do talk bad about Panini and what they're currently doing, that's not to discredit anything they've done up until this point. Like a lot of their parallels have become iconic. Kabooms, downtowns. Yep. You know, they've created these cards from nothing, right? Like where before, mm. unless something was like autographed or had a jersey in it, it really wasn't that big of a hit. Maybe serially numbered, but like now we have these cards that aren't even serially numbered, but like are case hits. And yep. they've kind of brought case hits back to life in a certain mm. way, right? So um that among like so many other design related things. I also saw something recently where people were talking about, you know the individuals who are very pro tops, none of tops's uh upper tier products have featured on a on a on a, a high high value sale in an auction house. And yep. that's not to yep. say that like there's anything it's not to say that it's all about dollars and cents, but if we're now like handing over all of the IPs, let's say, for mm. you know some of these prominent brands, like can tops can they raise their game? Because like it one of the reasons why that stuff hasn't sold for as much as it has is because it's just not, it doesn't look like it's it's supposed to be worth something of that nature. Right. Yeah. So yeah, I find that very interesting as well. It's like, can tops produce at that like upper tier the way that Panini did? Cause it's not just the fact that these boxes are expensive is the fact that people justify buying these boxes because they are truly like truly beautiful cards and they look like they're expensive and they, they have all these bells and whistles in them. Right. So, yeah, I don't know how we move forward here. I, I'm I'm curious on that as well because I'd I'd like to sort of see how much of that is driven by the fact that you know the likes of Flawless Eminence and all this really high end like prestige level stuff is still around and is the mainstream um, versus so how much of it is the fact that that's the mainstream Panini's on top and Panini's licensed versus um, you know, Tops not being there and there's maybe not looking as good. Like if Tops get the license overnight, will all of a sudden Dynasty start selling for for crazy prices? That's what I was thinking, right? Like, because I think I think people are very fickle in this hobby and they just like what's the mainstream, um, which is silly because if you look back at what you know was worth nothing ten years ago, that's worth you know money now. It's the stuff that people didn't want back then, not the things that people want for the most part, obviously. Well, I mean, even when like Kobe's rookie first came out, it was like Bowman's best was was the Chase, I believe, and and now all yep. of a sudden it's the Topps Chrome, a product that no one wanted at the time. Yeah, yeah, and you say that happened a lot. Um, you see it in the soccer market with things like flawless soccer, still very much underappreciated, but at release, nobody, nobody bought that at all. Panini was selling so, it for seventy five dollar. Panini Prism twenty fourteen. 
That stuff was yeah. sitting on shelves until like 2016, 2017, man. No one really gave yeah. a shit about that product. Yeah. You know, they were like soccer cards. Who cares about soccer cards? But now it's the yeah. most iconic set, you know? <laughs> it's Exactly. It's like highly desirable. You know, people are chasing gold parallels. They're chasing one of ones, mm-hmm. right? So yeah. it's very interesting. And it's going to be very interesting to see how the market kind of transitions through this period. Do you... Where does... Where do we go in terms of like providing information to the everyday person? Like how can these companies or what can we do as individuals to continue to provide information for people? It's it's a hard one because one of the things that I've struggled with a lot um, is getting responses from these businesses. Yeah. Um, so it's mostly speculation. So I think like for the for the most part, for you know, content creators or even collectors, right? it's going to be putting your hand up and raising things as they come up, right? Don't be afraid to not speak to things. Um, but for these businesses, to go back to the first part of your question, I think they just need to be more transparent, right? Well, I don't understand why they shy away from problems. Like what if you've misgraded a card or you've put a fake card in a slab or you've um, lost cards and not they're not in your product, like we've seen with Tops, come out and say it. You know, No one's going to hate you more for the fact that you came out and said it, right? Yeah, you might get some grief, but the... I see it in the long run as you putting accountability in yourself to say, you know what, we're going to make this you know, known. We're confirming that this happened. We're going to fix it. This is what we're going to do. That's the stuff you sort of expect. I feel like Whatnot has really taken a step in that direction where, yeah. you know, often was off, it was often, you know, people refer to it however they did in terms of, you know, maybe there were shady dealers on there or something happened every day or whatever. Like I've heard it all. But mm-hmm. recently I found that they're, they're, Every time something happens, they're very vocal about it. They talk about what's happened and kind of what their steps are moving forward. I think that's a definitely a huge step in the right direction in terms of correcting this and, and getting ahead of problems and, and making it known that they're actually working on things. I yep. find that situation particularly interesting, uh, especially with the gentleman who was an NFL player. Mm-hmm. And I, what what is his name? I can't believe, I can't remember. Oh, I don't remember his name off the top of my head either. Yeah, yeah. Sorry. Uh, no, no, don't check, apologize. Check, That's check rattle, check rattle. Yeah, when he's done exactly. Like 20 videos exactly. <laughs> but he's a part owner of whatnot, is he not? Uh, yeah, I think he was. Yeah, a partner. Yeah. So, so like, how does that work? I mean, the guy yeah. who is essentially pioneering this app has money invested in his app is now banned from the platform, but was he removed from ownership? Yeah, that's another very good question. I'd suggest probably not. Um, but that's something we need the information on because um, it's just a weird one. You see a lot of ties like that in that in this industry. But um, again, it's like Whatnot has done a really good job fixing this sort of stuff. But then it, it, my mind always comes back to, was it them doing it because they're now getting pressure from Fanatics Live and eBay Live um, to make the change, which is irrelevant because at least they're making the change. But it might be a little bit too little too late for them in the most part. But Again, that's a very interesting question. It's something that um, I'd like to dig into, to be honest. Yeah, because I, I was like, like very contradictory, like, right? Yeah, well, I was like, it just doesn't make sense. I'm like, wait a second. I'm like, because this could very well just be like a smoke screen. I'm like, if this guy's still an owner, like, I mean, at the yeah. end of the day, like, you ripped off tons of people on the platform that you own. Like, I feel it sounds a little, yeah. feels a little, feels a little icky. <laughs> yep, very icky, very very icky. But I'm just sort of used to that now in this industry, unfortunately, with the businesses, I should say. Yeah, no kidding. Yeah. Uh, do you talk to me about your? What do you collect now? Like, aside from the beautiful stuff behind you, what do you what do you look for in new products? Do you collect new products? I, I collect hits. It depends. So, like a, a big thing I'm working on now is um, the Italy cards from Select 2020 Euro. So they they won the Euros. Um, so I'm trying to build out 
um, a complete set of those in every single parallel. So I want to get the rainbow for every player, which is um, a pain in the ass, to be honest. It's I've had to take a bit of a break from it because it's getting a bit too expensive and some of the some of the stuff is a bit hard to find. Um, and one thing that I'm sure you can relate to for soccer cards as well is I feel like um, a lot of it is often overpriced. I think there's a lot of people holding these cards that don't know a whole lot about the sport and that's not meant to be a knock or anything like that. But things are priced where they will be in maybe five, 10 years for soccer instead of where it is right now. Um, and, and certain players are overpriced. I always tell people this. I think you know when people have gripes with the sports card hobby, I think soccer is everything wrong with the sports card hobby amplified because you have prospecting to the moon. Um, prices are just way too expensive across the board. Um, so that's my little rant for that. But I, I'm chasing, you know, flawless soccer at the moment as well. They're the two big sets. Um, so 2020 euros and then flawless soccer. It's funny. The person I talked about or I talked with not very long ago was special one cards and, and him and I kind of went toe to toe about not like toe to toe in the sense like a, a opposition, but you know, the vast majority of the conversation was about soccer cards and kind of how the whole, it just, I don't think it was done correctly. If that makes sense. Mm. Like people who bought into the sport bought in thinking that they were going to, I don't know, like five X, 10 X their money going into the world cup. Like basically yep. their, their grand plan was to buy all these cards and then sell off in the world cup for the most part. Mm -hmm. Right. The people who are mm -hmm. true collectors, Yep. The, the prospecting, like to your point, was way overpriced on players that will probably be good players. But yep. the problem is in a sport like football, these kids, they debut at like 16, 17 years old sometimes. Mm -hmm. And, mm -hmm. you know, not say that they don't pan out because oftentimes they do into very good footballers. But it takes like five, six, seven years in order for them to actually reach that maturation stage. Yeah. Yeah. And to your point, you have people holding these things two or three years in with the price forecasting of, you know, perhaps a quarterback in the NFL. And again, a young quarterback, which we can get into how ridiculous some of those prices are. But, mm -hmm. you know, like they, they kind of expect that to happen. And so I, I feel like the people who truly like want to collect either the prospects or, you know, even some of the the vets. They just don't really get a, like a, an option to do so because these people that'll have them are kind of like, man, I'm just going to hold this thing until I get $500 for this yep. out of 10 of, of a random player who, mm. you know, because you got an RC logo on it. And and I guess like yep. everyone's allowed to do whatever they want with these cards. But yeah, I just find it very interesting. People ask me all the time, like, who do you, you know, are there any players that you're chasing in recent products? And the answer is often no, because I, I refuse mm. to pay these prices. Like, I mean, like, yeah. Jamal Musiala is a guy I love watching play, unbelievable mm -hmm. player. But I'm like, I just I can't justify five thousand dollars for a kid who's like 18 years old and exactly. you know might never be as good as as Thomas Muller, to be honest. Yeah, yep. like and like Thomas Muller is an unbelievable player. Truthfully, I think his stuff's a little cheap, especially if you like stickers. But it, I'm like, I don't know if this kid will ever be as good as Thomas Muller, and he plays right next to him, right? So yep. I was like, yep. how can I justify five thousand dollars for this kid when Thomas Muller's even I mean I'm sure there's not a lot of them, but I'm sure if you were to find a PSA ten or PSA nine of his rookie sticker, it'd be like six seven hundred bucks. Yeah, it's it's insane. Like like I said, it's everything amplified to the thousandth degree. But people also forget that soccer is such a bigger player pool, right? There are so many more people playing the game. So you know, 
the chances are that there's going to be a, a card of there that a player is going to, so there might be a player that will be the best player in the game in 10 years time. And they might not even have a card produced until 10 years time. Right. Yep. And the player you're paying top dollar for now is not going to be worth damn in a couple of years time. Like, like you said, there's a few players in Flawless Soccer. I've got one card here actually. So quickly show this if it shows up fine on screen. Sure so, so the cool thing for Flawless Soccer is they put for the players that played in the Premier League, it's an international set, but they put, um, the team kits in there. So yeah. I'm a Chelsea fan. He played for Chelsea. But something like that, I think, cost me 300 USD. Now, that would be overpaying based on what his other cards sell for. But for me, as a Chelsea fan, he scored probably one of the most important goals in Chelsea's history in the Champions League semi-final against Barcelona. And we we're down to 10 men. We basically won the Champions League because of him. But something like that should be worth a heck of a lot more than 300 bucks. And there's yeah. a lot like that in soccer, which is really exciting if you're a collector because you can find stuff for your PC that um, you're going to get for cheap. Is that game used as well? Game used, yeah. Woo! And it's, 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 it's game used to the season they won the Champions League. Um, so wow. you could have won it in a Premier League match or a Champions League match. That's and, and everything for everything for Flawless, so they only did it for one year, is game used. Um, and it's, it's crazy cheap. Like I've got another one here very quickly. Being Italian, Andrea Pirlo, um, game used again to a, either a World Cup match or a European qualifier Oops. or a World Cup qualifier. One of the greatest players of all time, um, and that wasn't that expensive. So I didn't know. I didn't know you were Italian. I am. Yeah. Is there a feud between the Portuguese and the Italian in Australia? Uh, not that I think of. Not that I'm no. aware of. It's funny. Nowhere else in the world, but in in Toronto. Toronto does like <laughs> this. Like I mean, I love I love Italians. Like. A lot of my best friends are Italians, but it's just like growing up, I remember playing, we played like football at lunch, football, mm -hmm. soccer. And uh, it was always like Italy versus Portugal. And it was yeah. like, this is like nonstop. There's always a feud. Like if, if, if Italy, like two years ago, obviously uh, Italy won the Euro and there was just like a rift in, in like <laughs> my childhood friend group where like they were just unrelenting they were like we won you guys trash you know and like well we won in 2016 like <laughs> well, i'm sure it's i'm sure it's still better than saying england win to be honest but yeah, yeah, yeah we don't really say that in australia so you, you do get some of that obviously uh but australia is really multicultural especially where i'm from in southwest sydney um south melbourne melbourne as well um you've basically had a lot of people come here post world war ii um so it's basically a mix of everything so we're generally pretty laid back aussie so everyone sort of interacts pretty well that's pretty cool. The most What's your your fondest memory of like being Italian in terms of like like watching soccer? Uh, it'd be the 2006 World Cup, but that was a, a painful one because they eliminated Australia in the round that's, of 16. That's right, and they probably shouldn't um, have, to be honest. Yeah, no, they should definitely like, should have. To be like, fair, Italy Italy played a man down for most of that game, if yeah. I remember correctly. I've basically blocked out of my mind because we we conceded a penalty in the last minute, last yep. second, basically, and it was a dive. That's um, that's why I said they shouldn't have. I remember yeah, watching yeah. that. I remember exactly where I was watching that game. What's what's really so them winning it was good because I sort of forgot about it. But it's sort of like a love hate thing for me. But the, the disappointing thing is that that generation for Australia is probably the the closest we'll ever get to winning a World Cup. Now people think that is a bit strange, but if you look at that squad, they were playing in the top clubs all around the world. They were phenomenal players. Um, most of them were you know, first generation Australian. So they came, they were born in Europe and they, they came here. Um, so they had very much European mindset ingrained in them, which is something that's been lost in recent years with our national team. Um, but they were a, a team of, of superstars. And I 
that's the closest we'll ever get to winning one. Fart, like no chance. We'll, we won't get that close ever again. I feel like your team in the last year or the last World Cup was good. Yeah, we lost to Argentina. Um, should have yeah. scored again you in beat, the last you second. Beat France, so we were good. Didn't you? Uh, or lost no. narrowly? Yes, yes, yeah. It was close. Yeah. We're very competitive in all our games. But it was, um, that was sort of like a, a coaching masterclass more than having a phenomenal team. Like if you go back through, the Socceroos team from 2006 and you read about their bios and, and all that stuff, they were like proper world-class athletes. Most of those players could have walked into any of the other teams playing in that World Cup. Um, so it was just disappointing, but um, it is what it is. I think 2002 was also another one for Italy. We basically got rewarded in that one. Like being in Australia, having to get up at 2 o'clock in the morning, 3 o'clock in the morning um, to watch these games is is part of the fun. That's part of the memories too. Like even watching Chelsea getting up that early and, and watching the games is, is part of the fun. But again, is that how early it was? Is that how early the games, yeah. Like, really? Yeah. Yep. 2am, 3am. Yeah. That's um, dedication is, right there. But Which is, uh, it goes to like when people are always surprised Aussies being so passionate about sport, that's what these, that's what they do. They get up to watch the games that early or they're watching, you know, the NBA, NFL in their lunch breaks. Um, so, we we love our sport. I mean, I love the passion. It's it's good. I wish it was a bit earlier in the day, but um, can't complain. No kidding. All right, talk to me real quickly. What do you want to see happen in the hobby in the next, let's say, two years? Five years is too long. Two years. What do you think? What do you want to see happen in the hobby, and how can we have a greater impact? And not just you and me. I mean, we as listeners, we as content creators, we as collectors. I think the easy one I've already touched on is more transparency, I think, is what we need from these businesses. I'm hoping fanatics can bring it um, when they get on board. Um, we just need them to be acting quickly, listening to their customers first and foremost, because I think that's the most important thing. And that goes to your second point. We need people to be more vocal when it comes to these issues with these businesses and not just being happy to get redemptions in products, not just getting happy or being Sparkle happy to, to get... Yeah, and get like random ass um, QC errors and, and 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 shitty patches and all that sort of stuff in your car in your packs. Like that's the stuff you need to be complaining about. When you're seeing a card that you send in get a you know graded of a four, and then you send it back in, you get a ten. You need to be asking more questions as to why that happened. Um, push back on these businesses, I think, is what we need. And that's not a bad thing to do. It's not meant to do it in an in an angry way or in a nefarious way. But just ask these questions and then get your answers. Don't be don't be happy to sort of get pushed around like we have been. I couldn't agree more. Dan, where can people find you if they want to talk to you about maybe some issues? Uh, they want to, they have something that they feel like you might be able to help them with. You know, perhaps they just want to connect with you as an Australian and, and maybe see how they, they, they can continue collecting or, or any tips and tricks that you might have. Where can they find you? I think Instagram's the easiest one. You can find the link in um, my YouTube bio or Dan the Cardman on YouTube, I think is the, the two easiest places to, to get me. But Instagram will be where you can get the, the most answers from me because it's where I check the most. But I am, I'm proud, I'm proud to say I'm one of the few that responds to literally every single comment on YouTube. So every single one. Too. Yes. So I won't always um, give a comment, but I will give a heart to every single comment that I agree with. And if I don't, then I'll give a comment, but I reply, I pride myself on that. That's amazing. So some people might actually say quickly that um, I haven't done that, but YouTube's a bit funny. Sometimes it doesn't tell me when I've got a comment and every six months I'll get like 400 come through at one go. So really, yeah, it's weird. I don't, I don't know why it does it, but um, 
on the YouTube studio app. It's not there. And then it's happened to me three or four times now. And I'm sitting there just scrolling for days because I want to give everyone a comment and a reply. So you hear that? Within six months, you will get a reply at Dan DeCardo. Yes, yes. <laughs> just kidding. And if you don't, um, come chase me in the IG DMs. <laughs> I'm kidding. Team, I hope you really enjoyed this episode as much as I did. Dan the Cardman, if you're not following him on Instagram and on YouTube, you're definitely missing out. Thanks for joining us today, man. And uh, team, I hope you enjoyed. Dan the Cardman and Coach Co are out of here.